welcome back to another episode of Control Alt Delete. I'm back in your ears with another amazing guest. People often ask me how I choose my guests uh, for this podcast, and it's a really hard one to really sum up or tell anyone about because it really is on gut instinct. I just, I just want to interview people that I have a good vibe about, and I guess that's something that you can't really put your finger on. But um, it's definitely the case for this guest. I have wanted to interview Sam Conniff Allende for ages. He has a book out, it's just come out, called Be More Pirate or How to Take on the World and Win. And it's out now with Penguin and it's really quite amazing, the book, and the message behind it is something I totally uh, agree with and all of my work totally aligns with. So really so happy to have him on the podcast The book is a manifesto for radical action and change and it's based on the true and untold successes of the golden age of pirates. Pirates weren't just uh, toothless, rum-drinking hooligans. They were actually also the agents of change and leadership and social innovation and you really learn a lot from Sam's book and I totally recommend you pick up a copy. Sam is a professional speaker. You can Google him and watch his TEDx talks and he's worked with some amazing clients and still continues to with people like Netflix and Facebook and Google. And he also is now on the board of Liberty, having been such a massive part of founding Liberty, which is a youth-led creative network and it has helped thousands upon thousands of young people and has done incredible work. It's won so many awards. It's had awards from the Prime Minister, from the Queen... Um, from business awards and the Beamer awards it's it's done so incredibly well and Sam continues to be a big part of that and his new book is a movement which I think we should all join it's about rebellion and it's about changing the rules and it's about rewriting the rules I hope you enjoy this episode we talk a lot about instincts success how to quit your job um, the fact that no one really knows what they're doing and the fact that we're in a time of massive, massive change and what we can do, how we can take power into our own hands, really. So I hope you enjoy this episode. We recorded it at Penguin and Sam's book is available now at all good bookshops and, of course, on Amazon and all your online portals. So here is the episode and I hope you enjoy it. Here it is. So welcome, Sam, to the podcast. You're a bit of a podcast pro now. (laughs) I've heard you on Mostly Lit and Ed Miliband's podcast. They were great. Well, you've just listened to all the podcasts I've been on, so that's it. There's, there's only a Bruce Daisley. There's, there's a small handful. I feel very lucky because they're some of my favourite podcasts. In fact, the only podcasts I listen to. So that's really why I reached out to them. Yeah, no, I, if you search your name... And also, can I ask you about your name? Because yes. you've added on a bit of your name. I have. Can you just talk me through that quickly? Yeah, sure. Because when searching for your name... Um, on iTunes, which people should do, they, all of the episodes will come up, won't they? So they can binge they? after this one. I've, I'm going to go and go and search myself on iTunes. <laughs> um, I I was born Sam Conniff. Um, that's my father's name. Uh, uh, from Ireland originally, and then Wales, and all sorts of strange places it went. And then I got married to a Mexican, mm. um, whose surname is Allende. Ah, got it. So it's double-barreled married name. Uh, I didn't. I don't know. I didn't, I didn't hyphenate it, um, mm. sadly, for this conversation. Um, maybe I shall. <laughs> uh, but I was in Mexico um, the year before we got married, and I was there on Independence Day. 
and everybody goes into the street. There's 120 people, in, 120 million Mexicans going into a street, so it's a lot of people, and they get drunk and they party, and uh, when it's midnight there's fireworks and they shout the names of the revolutionaries. Uh, one of them who brought about independence was, was an Allende, and in my mind I always knew I was going to have two little girls, and I just thought what a crime it would be to to rob someone of that name and of that mm -hmm. heritage. And if we were going to bring them up in England, as we kind of anticipated that we were going to do, a, it's really important to have that sense of culture and heritage and who you are. Um, and one day, my two daughters now, Scarlett and Frida, uh, will be with their mum in Mexico, where they obviously are from, and they will hear their name shouted in the streets by millions mm -hmm. of people. And no one but no one is ever going to shout Conniff <laughs> <laughs> in any street anywhere unless I'm in trouble. <laughs> that is awesome. I didn't realise I was going to get such a nice story, but that that is really cool. Um, yes. But with the book, we were just talking about this before actually, but with writing a book now, you have to be an entrepreneur about it, don't you? And I didn't know that when I wrote my first book. I just thought that... Um, you know, it takes a village, there's so many people that make it great, you obviously write it and it goes out into the world, but actually it doesn't stop there. How have you found the publicity process? Because it's been everywhere, it's done so well. You know, you've just done such a good job of it and I just wondered, you know, how that's been. Thank you very much. From someone with your you know, digital marketing pedigree, that, that's, that's high praise. And I think you know, um, uh, as I do, it's, it's strange to be congratulated on success that doesn't necessarily feel like success because you're right in the middle of it and you're your own worst judge and you can you know everything that's gone wrong so the world sees the other stuff and you've done your best to make that look good um, so in the spirit of you know that we're, we're in the same boat <laughs> with this thing yeah. it doesn't always feel like success I'm very proud of some of the things that we've achieved and yes I had no fucking clue how hard it was once you came out I had no fucking clue how hard it was to write and that's kind of why I did it a piece of advice I've always given to young entrepreneurs or or um, actually just generally the young people I've, I've worked with and mentored is to always try and have an idea of what the scariest thing you could be doing is so that you know why you're not doing it or whether actually you should be doing it or whether you're treading water. Mm -hmm. And so for me, a big kind of career-defining moment for me, I asked myself the same question. And A, doing something on my own was really tough because I've always been in a big team. Mm -hmm. um, all my businesses have had most, the most amazing people and I wanted to prove it. Writing, I've always found incredibly hard. I'm mildly dyslexic. I've never done anything academic, never did university, so the thought of actually sitting and doing something tough like that. Mm. Um, and so I began. And so I thought the writing was the hardest bit. And when I finished that in December 2017, sigh of relief. Mm. And then I met the publicity team, and I have this very, very wonderful team led by David Aver at uh, Penguin. And they began to give me a clue as to what was coming. And I kept hearing this phrase, oh, you know, now the hard work really begins. And I thought it was this, this kind of joke. <laughs> <laughs> like, God, yeah, that phrase. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And you're like, what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. How many how many books are released every week in the UK? Do you know the stat? I don't know. Do you know? It's. I think it's like three thousand. Oh there's hundreds of thousands of books every year that's for sure and so. when you're on Amazon and you see you know it's it's one thousand in books you think do you know what that's really great actually because how many millions of books are on Amazon six. <laughs> Six million. Six million. Books oh my god! On, on Amazon. Um, so you kind of have to think in the in the grand scheme of things as well. Even the fact that people are reading it is yeah. is, is yeah. amazing. Well, then, do you, you found this? So uh, um, you must have found it the, the the first book. You, you meet someone who's read it, and they say, "Oh, I really, really enjoyed your book. It's really good." And, and even though you put your life and soul into thing, you're really surprised. Oh yeah. <laughs> you're like what really? Yeah. Oh, thanks so much. Yeah, so I only believe the bad things. 
Yeah, exactly. Those things I'm like, thank you for confirming the truth. And for any compliments, it's just like, you're mad. You read the wrong book. Exactly, just seeing straight through them. What is wrong with it? And so it's exactly the same thing. You know, the fact that even one person has read it should be amazing. But I find that um, on the back end of Amazon, there's in the author dashboard. Mm, oh, yeah. And and so you see yourself as a percentage rank and it updates hourly. Yeah. I yeah. mean, my wife had to shut the laptop on me. She's like, it's really addictive, you've isn't it? You've got to step away from <laughs> Google that. Google alerts. Yes. Um, but I wanted to say that I actually read your piece on LinkedIn called Control Alt Delete, your career. And I, I really loved it. It was such an honest piece of writing about a massive change in your career and what success means and um and also I think that was such a good move as well because it's such a really lovely piece of writing that you're kind of like well I'm definitely going to pre-order the book then after reading that um (laughs) but yeah but did it feel a bit vulnerable then that you had just sort of stepped away from something that you you knew so well to go out on your own um uh and I looking back I think it was partly inspired by you because I'd I'd heard uh, of the podcast probably in the year that I know it in the year that I was researching the book um, and so as I began that year I did a day less every quarter of the business that I'd founded mm-hmm. in 2001 when I was in my when I was 23 and now I'm 40 and you know it's a really grown up business and it's grown to hundreds of people in lots mm-hmm. of different countries and won lots of awards and helped millions of young people uh, and I knew it was time to move on and for multiple reasons um, and I had no idea how difficult that was going to be. It was like one of those things that's a surprise and then surprisingly unsurprising. Like the day I got my P45 and nearly wept. It was just God. such a strange thing but to do. But how do you know? If, if it's going, if you're winning all these awards and you're, you're loving your job and you're helping so many people, how do you know, how do you know to, to leave? Uh, you, I mean, so one thing that kind of relates back to your, your whole narrative, I think, is um, a, a growing understanding of... Uh, the power of instinct. So I think for a, a while in business and, and work, we've been talking about understanding the, the the benefits of failing. And I think sometimes that's a bit of a surface level. I think people like to say it because it sounds cool or makes a good poster, but um, there's truth in it. But beneath that, there's the power, I think, of making things up, you know, mm. of instinctually knowing what the right thing to do is. But then usually we suppress that because we're looking for evidence or verification or someone who knows better than us. Mm. But I'm convinced more and more that it's one of the most powerful tools that we've got. And over time, if every single time you go through a difficult decision, you then check back in yourself, what did, I, what did my gut tell me? And what was it I thought I should do? And, and was it right? Or did I know that, I, I, did I have a feeling that I ignored? And everybody knows that experience. I knew I shouldn't have done that, or I knew I was right. Just keep checking in every single time. Mm-hmm. And over the years, your instinct is number one, far and away the most professionally powerful tool you have. Yeah. So by that, by this stage of my career, I've begun to trust it. And secondly, there was always this joke because the, the, the lifeblood of my organisation, Liberty, has been incredible young people, teenagers and, and, and young adults. And we've helped them find fulfilling careers and all sorts of great things whilst they've fueled the work, that, the creative work that Liberty does. Um, and I'd always joked that once I hit 40, uh, I'd be too old to run a youth, youth business, youth-led business. Um, and when I was in my 20s, 40 seemed like it would never, ever happen. <laughs> and then when it did, it was like, Although we're getting younger, aren't we? I know. Like forty-year-olds now are way cooler than they used to be. I would say. I mean, that's very harsh, but you know what I mean. Like people stay so much younger now, probably because they're going to be working for so much longer. Well, I'm about to turn forty-two, so I can I can attest that people in their early forties are definitely much cooler than any other previous generation of early forty-year-olds. 
I've got half brother, a half brother and two half sisters in their forties. Right, so cool. There we go. Way cooler than me. There we go. Way better parties than I, than I throw. <laughs> um, but I wanted to I wanted to ask you about how how you maintain that that sense of um, I guess you've got to be quite strong in yourself and also not have too much ego to really care about young people thriving. I was on a um, a panel recently about men- mentoring, and there was someone on the panel that said something, and she was saying that that she mentors people, but she gets really annoyed when they don't pay back the favour to her when she mm. mentors them. Mm. And I just sat there thinking, that's not why I that's not why I mentor. Yeah. Not not to be preachy, but yeah. you can't mentor someone and then hope that in ten years they're gonna give you a ring. You know, you're meant to just help. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Ha- are you kind of born with that gene of just like wanting to pass it on, or how, do, how does it work? Um, I think you. I think. I think. I think. I, deep down, I think most people are born good, and so there is a sense of, of wanting to help. Um, and uh, there's there's evidence on evidence that suggests we are very best when we're working in collaboration with other people and forming relationships. So I think there's fundamentally practical reasons why we're drawn to to help one another. Yes, um, and then mentoring. I think at the moment is so so valid because so few certainly in the world you're, whether you, we call it the multi-hyphen method or um, uh, the other one I've been hearing about is messy careers mm. you know and I, I've always thought that success is a bit of a mess and there's very little advice out there that is, isn't linear so if you really want to speak to someone who's had multiple jobs and made a complete fuck up and doesn't know where they're going you need to have a real life experience and you need to share that from somebody mm. um and I, my, my, my take on it is always that if you're looking for a mentor, you are looking for someone who can look back on a place that you're looking forward to. Mm. Because n- no one can join the dots going forward. We can only ever join the dots going back. Yes. So if you can... Careers speak... don't make sense until it's in hindsight. Exactly. Yeah. So if you can find someone who's got hindsight that looks a bit like what you want your foresight to be, then you might have a really useful conversation to be had. Um, and the second thing is mentoring is always a mutual experience. Because the person who's had that experience to then talk to their past self mm. is a useful lesson and it helps them inform the decisions that they go on to. So anyone going into a mentoring relationship thinking anything other than it's mutually beneficial is, is kind of in the wrong kilter because it's you, know, you should be mutually grateful and there's mutual sharing and both, both sides always walk away with as much learnt or gained as, as the other one. And if not, then there's probably something a little bit benevolent and I think that's, yeah. that's, that's maybe a bit different. Yeah, because you could do it with, with any age now as well, yeah. couldn't you? Like, you could have a mentor. I, I have a mentor that's younger than me. Yeah. Because they're just, I mean, young people are just the most inspiring when it comes to activism and stuff. But um, one of the biggest characteristics of your book and also your marketing campaign is um, rebellion. Yes. So Be More Pirate, your book, um, at the heart of it is all about rebellion, isn't it? It is, um, absolutely. And I had a question about rebellion because... I don't know if you saw it, but Elon Musk um, revealed his top tips for getting ahead. And one of them was like, walk out of a meeting if you don't agree with the, with the boss. And, yep. and I just saw, I saw some tweets about it from people saying, if you're Elon Musk, you can leave the meeting. But, yep. but what if you're the intern who's kind of te- like trembling with fear? Because I, d- I didn't speak up in a meeting for about two years in yeah. my first job. Um, and I just wondered, and it's not criticism, it's just like, yeah. how do you rebel yeah. when you have no confidence or how do you get there? So I think there's a, A, I think it's a really good question and I welcome it. I think that I started writing the book with pirates in mind because I've 
you know, been in an entrepreneurial community and, and, and groups and we all think that we're pirates and breaking the rules and, and as when I was testing the material relentlessly over the course of last year I realised that actually most people I want to talk to aren't you know they're in the Navy they're in these big organisations and they want to do things differently or outside of work they're doing tons of stuff or in their daydreams they're doing a you know, multitude of things mm-hmm. and so it's very important that, uh, that the book lands in that world um, so the first part is knowing the rule that you want to break because it's not just wantonly any rule. And I had this unfortunately conversation with my daughter about pirates and she went into, she's only five and she went to school and just started breaking the wrong rules and she got in all sorts of trouble and I was asked to, <laughs> asked to speak to the teachers. She said, no, no, darling, no. Um, it's the stupid rule and everyone knows them. If you just cast your mind back over the week, the one where you go, you know, you roll your eyes at it. You know you're doing it just because some arse has made it up. You know, and how much of our lives are like that anyway? We have to make something up and then before you know it, it's become the convention. So the stupid rule that we should challenge. And then the, the distinction of this age of pirates, and not just like any other anarcho-punk you know, biker rule breaker, they rewrote the rules. So what would you replace it with? Mm-hmm. So if the rule that annoys you is badly managed meetings run by people who don't let the junior people speak, then that's shit. That's a shit convention. Those people are arrogant and they're not, they're not looking to the new talent. So it's a bad convention that needs rewriting. So what's your new rule? If your new rule is uh, we have an, a, a policy around here and meetings are only this time and they only happen if there's a good chair and if everybody speaks and you know, there's an agenda. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so unless they follow the new rule, then we're walking out. So then to get over the, um, the fear factor is you need to have a crew. Mm-hmm. So the first stage is to find the rule you want to break. The second stage is come up with the new rule. And the third stage is what takes this into mutiny. Because you and the two other interns, all right, this is, yeah, these meetings are shit, aren't they? Right, here's the new agenda. We'll circulate that. We'll leave that. We'll leave that poster up on a few, uh, you know, cupboard doors, and then we three will leave because they can't shoot us all. Mm. So the three of us are out, and then you know. And then it's a movement, even if it's a small movement. And that's how rules get written in the real world. We like to pretend, you know. We all there's this kind of very thin line between how we want things to be and how they are, and we hope that all this stuff is kind of structured around us and has been made up by clever people and it's good. But most of it's not. Most of it's just been made up on the fly, and then it's just stuck. So a smart new way of doing things that others then lean into will become a new convention. And that's why I call it professional rule breaking. Because no one got hurt in that process. Suddenly the system has been upgraded. The smart young people who are in them being frustrated have suggested a better way of doing it. Deep breath, everyone starts doing it in the new, in the new way. Mm-hmm. And this is a good example because I've had, so one of the, I, I run this talk a lot um, as a, as a workshop, I really needed to test for the same reasons that I was leaving Liberty feeling like I was a bit old. I also didn't want to be the patronising, you know, you know, we were laughing earlier on about me being the token middle-aged, middle-class white guy uh, with this book to a, you know, young millennial generation about break the rules. And it's like, come on, granddad. Um, and I heard that a bit when I, was, when I was researching it. So I've tested it again and again and again in, in workshopping it. And, one of the, and at the end of it, we, we talk about the rules you want to break and what we're going to do. And then I get the room to divide into mutinies and they're going to do it together. And again and again, I've heard the meeting one. And again and again, I've seen groups of young people who are starting out in their careers form WhatsApp groups, like across different businesses. And they, they're holding each other to it. I've had all such a, an amazing array of rebellions in all sorts of areas, but quite a lot of them in the workplace. Because there are so many bad conventions mm-hmm. that... that, that a generation coming through just cannot believe this is how we fucking work you know of course there's better ways yes. of organising ourselves why on earth am I having to show up here at 9 o'clock in the morning that's, that's not the time I, I work on or will do my best mm-hmm. work so you know absolutely this is a perfect moment 
when some professional rule breaking is required. Yes, and there's such an energy that comes with being young. Like yeah. I, I feel. I mean, I'm in. I'm in my late twenties, but I, I feel like I'm getting, tired a bit more tired of kind of, like I do feel that my energy is slowly going. Mm-hmm. As in, I can understand why people just think, oh, I just I can't be bothered. I just want an easy life. I don't want to break the rules. I just want to go to work and whatever and go home. And I think I, you've got to keep that kind of alive actually yeah. that because I I've, I mean in my book I, I write about how you know the five day working week was invented in the 1800s like the way we work is so is, is ridiculous actually yeah. yeah but to say but people can can fight that with you can't change something like that the the biggest fear I have looking out to a, a young generation I would include you in that absolutely um, is that you continue to believe that the way things are is the way things have to be the way things are is not the way things have to be. You know, you, you know this, and I'm sure everybody um, who, who's listened knows, every single time you get to another level of kind of seniority or power in life, it's both refreshing and really worrying that the, grow, the people in charge don't have any more of an idea than you. You know, and it happens when you kind of get to the top of a, an education environment or, or when your friends become teachers and you're like, oh, but didn't you used to be the masters of the universe? Or like when someone gets senior in a business, you know, like, how are you in charge of anything? Or someone starts a business, you're like, how did you do that? And I've done this throughout my career. You get to the board. And you're like, I wouldn't give any of you a job. I mean, who would you give a job in front bench politics? You know, across either one of those benches? None of them. I think that's why young people have more anxiety now because they know that the grown-ups aren't... There isn't that trust anymore of kind of you guys know what you're doing. They do not know what they're doing. There is no grand master plan. I've thought for years there must be like a, a cupboard of really smart people and they're, they're, you know, there is a lot of smart people around in, in politics and business. But there is no grand master plan. No one is coming to save us. And, and that's kind of where my sense of rebellion comes from. And this, this connects back to the pirates. The average age of pirates, Emma, was 28. So you are the, mm. actually the perfect wow. age. There's enough time before you to go oh, wait a minute I can do all of this and you're just entering into that stage of adultness of, of another layer of responsibility financial burden and everything else and that's when they're like fuck you I am not going to sign up to this and I think your generation faces exactly the same as theirs the future has been missold to us the majority of us can't afford a house there is no you know what everything the previous generation had for free that they'd worked so hard and fought for is also not there plus we've got this terrifying backdrop of like conflict anxiety and everything you know it's if this was, the, if I was inheriting the world at this stage, I would want a bloody refund. And <laughs> yeah. you, you look around us, you know, we're we're perpetuating this lie. You know, the 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 idea that we're con- continuously still selling stuff in a world that can't produce it or consume it, you know, the advertising side of the world we're in should be a a war crime. You know, so of course a smart young person that can see all of this can look out at it and see it for what it is. And in that moment, with that with that energy and age and hopefully anger, you need to direct it. Mm. And that's why these guys stepped out of society and made up a new one. And that is what is so exciting about living in the world right now, is you can have a voice, you can do what you want, the old gatekeepers are gone. But then I'm kind of conflicted at the moment with this whole, like, anyone can start a podcast, anyone can get famous, anyone can get a million followers, anyone can be the president. It's like, I don't know where this ends and where it begins of being good and bad, but... I, I think rebellion is such a is such a strong word and what we need right now. I mean, I, I know it's a strong word and it calls up images of you know burning cars and you know people in the streets and and I and I'm 
I'm specifically choosing the word because I think it's that. I think that you know the, the moment of resistance that we've been through isn't isn't enough. It hasn't got us where we needed to go. And I think there's still cases for resisting, of course, but it is rebellion. It's taking rules into your own hand. It's the accountability for the circumstances that we're in. It's recognition that the four yearly election cycles of a self-interested establishment cannot, you know, no matter how well meant they are, they cannot represent it. I mean. You know, uh, another burning issue for your generation is, is, is rents in this, in this crazy country. Rent and housing. 70% of our elected officials on, on one side of politics are landlords. Mm. Right? That's not to say they're all bad. They're not like Victorian landlords tweaking their moustaches, but they're generating an income because the rents are high in the housing situation. So how can they possibly... I mean, we, we're just entrenched in this way, and that'll be four years until you can vote for someone who's not that different from the ones that are there, and nothing will change. You know? mm. So that's bust. If it was... Any, uh, if it was your, uh, I don't know, if, if, our, if our phones were served up to us in a, in a way that was as dysfunctional as our society, there would be uproar, right? <laughs> it would be off. So this bit is just not working. So we need to go and choose something else. It's not available. It's not on offer. So what do you do? You have to go make it yourself. Yeah. And so I share your concern and I don't think it's easy to get a million followers. I started a Twitter <laughs> handle for the book and I wish I fucking hadn't. <laughs> Grinding my way to my 400 follower. Um, uh, but you can write your own rules. You, you are in control of a degree of your destiny. You know, whether that's your front door or your street or your community or it's much, much bigger. That sense of breaking a rule and, and feeling the power that the world doesn't stop and you don't die. You know? And then the accountability of saying, this is a better way of doing it. Mm-hmm. And then two people going with you. That's actually what real power is. You know, this notion of leadership, people talk about it a lot uh, as if it's a badge or something you win. Uh, and real, real leadership is within you. It's the decision to get fucking out of the house. It's the decision that you're going you're gonna to do something. It's got nothing to do with you know, the plaudits that come with it. You know it when you feel it. Mm. It's really interesting, that idea of kind of what, what success actually means. I suppose it's, just, mm. it's a personal thing to everyone. Yeah. Um, but with with this job, because I and this is kind of a personal question, I guess, of me just being nosy. But when you love your job, or you are really kind of married to what you're doing, obviously we were just talking about how you you can't really step away from how the book is doing or yeah. what's going on. And how do you maintain motivation? But also, you know, you've been doing this for for a while now. Yeah. You've still got so much energy. Like, how do you maintain that energy? How do you not burn out and give up because it's really inspiring that you're still like doing so much good work if I tell you the truth will you tell me the same for you because you're you're right in the eye of the storm you're two weeks away from yours coming out yeah and I'm I'm hanging by a thread (laughs) (laughs) um I don't sometimes it's an act uh last night I fucking nearly fell off I was just exhausted and uh I wound up my wife I've got a small child um, two small children Scarlett who's five and Frida who's five months and you know it's so hard switching off something like this in your brain and then being present and I think my wife's been incredibly supportive but you know she's dealing with with her side of the you know, the bargain we're trying to be divide all of this stuff up we've made a really clear plan as we came into it and but uh, someone said to me actually they saw my face yesterday they said did you know that the, the first six months of your second child is your hardest part of your entire life wow yeah that's a big change from one to two yeah yeah big change from one to two and Frida was born the same week that my deadline for this book which was the same week I got P45 from Liberty so oh my god 
and my wife is totally justified in telling me that you know I wasn't as present as I should have been in that moment. So I feel embarrassed. You know, what the fuck? Who are you? You know, where are your priorities? Um, but actually, at this stage of our deal, you know, I'm trying to do the thing that's going to bring us money. Mm-hmm. That makes me anxious because every single person in publishing tells you, "Don't think you're going to make any money out of books." Mm-hmm. So then you're trying to work out, you know, "Is this my ego?" and all these things. And so yes, the success is driven by, you know, let's be really honest, is partly driven by ego. It's partly driven by by survival. It's partly driven by this message that I totally believe in that I've got that's right for the world that's come from this incredible amount of young people I've been lucky to work with. But, you know, we are who we are. And so at the end of what's been a difficult week in my house, everybody got sick last week. Um, mm-hmm. So I missed a day on Monday because vomit bug tore through my family. <laughs> so we're all knackered and then we just fucking lost it with each other, as, as is normal life. So by yesterday, mm-hmm. I was just, I had one day of like, oh, my days. I'm <laughs> not quite ready for it. Uh, and then I woke up this morning and the sun was shining. Mm-hmm. And I woke up a bit early and uh, Frida was awake. And so I had a half an hour with her. And I'm really genuinely looking forward to meeting you properly. I've been listening to you all week and... It was like, all oh, right. So then you find the little things that then start picking you back up. Uh, I open my emails, which I try and do in, in select time frames. Um, I'd had a new review sent to me by uh, a young woman who's read the book, and she had such incredible things to say. It reminded me why I'm here and what we're doing this for. That's why those those little moments of getting comments or emails or reviews are genuinely really Fuck important. Yeah. You mean, should tell people when you mean like their work. Well. Yeah. And then I got Frida back to sleep. I was able to put her uh, in the room, which meant I let my wife sleep, and then I snuck out of the house quietly, ready to go back to work, you know, mm-hmm. ready to take it all on. So mm-hmm. you need to know what those points of recharging yourself are. And I think the, there's a sort of big conversation around mental health, which is really important, but I think sometimes we lack the... And we talk about resilience, but there's some just really practical underlays which anybody can have in their life that, 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 that help you more than anything to be proactive um, in protecting yourself against that. And you know, in these kind of intense moments, it's the hardest to really stick to everything you know that gives you that. And ultimately, I would say I am infinitely lucky because my career has meant I've worked with, so closely with so many great young people who've gone on to do brilliant things. They have this knack of when I'm at my lowest, they just show up. So all through Liberty, every time we had a redundancy round or every time we you know, lost a great big work or every time I kind of got lost with where I was or when I was in that year of leaving, the buzzer would go and some mm. kid would show up that I hadn't seen for like three years and or Chris that we mentioned earlier on when she'd first dropped me a line after years of seeing her and like, yeah, look how well she's doing. And it would really bring you back up and you would see, and I think this is something that we all should, we all, I think we all try to look for in our work, but try to find ways of leaving yourself signs and that's what that post was all about, control, or delete mm. the things that I then went and found. And they've also done the same the other way. Every time I've started to smoke my own crack, you know, or, or, or get too high on your own ideals, mm. a young person has come back in and, you know, Lovely. give me cause to, to, to check myself. So that's probably what it all comes down to. I was very lucky to find a sense of real purpose in my profession, and I've stayed pretty committed to it. Somehow it's always found its way of coming back and giving me the energy I need. Mm. That is so. That is really good to hear because it's nice to know that you, if you keep that thread going, it's, it's actually really simple, isn't it? Because yes. it's just what you truly believe you're here to kind of do, which sounds cheesy, but you know what I mean. Um, and not getting too distracted by some shiny things or some yep. other things. Just, yeah. Yeah. And it, you know, I think that question can't be made too big and complex because suddenly, what's my purpose? You know, it becomes overwhelming. It just doesn't need to be that 
that difficult purpose can be just about efficacy you know what are you good at that makes you happy and you just completely can talk about compounding a lot in the book but you do that year in year out year in year out and like any kind of investment it begins to compound Mm -hmm. and then it will it will help look after you as well the investment will return yeah so with the how are you doing oh how do you deal with the intensity of the moment because you seem pretty buoyant and full of energy (laughs) i i'm i think my default is quite kind of fine yep. but I flew to do a talk the other day um, to the Isle of Man and the pl- and the plane was really small it's one of those ones the BA ones with the like propellers and it's like <laughs> single file single file chairs it was a really small plane and what I've realized is the more I lose trust in the grown-ups the more I get really anxious about small things like does the pilot even know what he's doing am I gonna die going and doing this conference is this how I want to die? And like literally kind of went down a really bad spiral. Um, but I could, I did my talk and I was fine. I don't get nervous anymore doing that stuff. That's really how I, where I feel really comfortable actually is when yep. I'm doing my thing. Yep. It's when I'm not doing my thing that I'm, it all creeps up on me. So yeah. I think um, not putting too much pressure on yourself. So for example, this podcast was meant to be me and someone having this, having a chat and me putting it on the internet. Now it's got like, Two million um, listeners. It it change it changes things, but I've learned not to let that change. It doesn't matter how much pressure people are putting on you. You still have to just do it for the reason you set out to do it. But no, I I um, I watch your talk sometimes when I'm feeling a bit to pet myself back up. You and mm-hmm. Seth That's Seth Godin. I have like a little playlist, and it's like sometimes just have it on the background because it's it's very sort of it's it's there's no bullshit to it. Right. So I love it. Thanks very much. Um, I, I really uh, appreciate that. So what what um, are you excited about with kind of the movement from the book onwards? People who are going to follow you and are already following you. Are you going to carry on the pirate movement for a long time? Uh, if you are listening, um, you know you might. You know, by this point in the podcast, I've often fallen asleep. <laughs> <laughs> Not because they're boring, of course, but I listen to them uh, a better time. Um, or you're running, or maybe you've just got distracted, you're doing up your laces, I don't know, maybe you've just got to work. Um, whatever you're doing, yes, absolutely. If there's one thing that I was going to say, it would be that I would like anyone to hear is this. I did not have any idea what I was getting started with. This was a distraction project. It was a metaphor about pirates and change and that being a cool thing for the generation that I, I love and admire and I think has so much potential and so little opportunity afforded to them. And it's become something much more. It is a manifesto for radical action and change that I believe you, Emma, and your, this generation absolutely need to look to because nobody has your best interests at heart that has their hands on the, the, the leaves of power. There is so much change that's required in the world. I have been all over the world. The Queen's Young Leaders, you mentioned earlier on, I helped set that project up. In every single Commonwealth country I went to, I found young people, whether they're rural or urban or middle class or, or, or not even in education, a sense of optimism and 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 power and opportunity to create change whether your world is a tiny small world or it's you're seeing the entire world and it's round and otherwise you know we would be bereft of pessimism because at a global leadership level there's a vacuum of imagination but every time i find myself sat down with someone in their 20s not only have they got one or two or maybe three plans for a side hustle mm-hmm. they've got the belief that they know how to do it so the systems of control that got us through the 20th century aren't fit aren't good enough for your generation they are not good enough and they are holding an existing system which is crumbling at the edges for all to see 
And do you want to sit around and waste a decade whilst that falls to pieces and then you guys inherit the power? Or do you want to speed that up a little bit? So I say clearly, break some rules. Discover your rule-breaking power, the strength that comes with it, the, the, the confidence it will give you. Rewrite some rules. Replace the ship rules that you're presented with on a daily basis in your workplace, in the society around you, in your community, in your street that affect your friends, whatever it is, I don't mind. And then start something new and see what happens. Make a small mutiny, one, two, three friends around it, 20, 30. And if you are inspired in any way by the book or, or, or some of the mutinies that I've begun to share, because I've got 50 or so stories. You know, before the book was even out, I had nearly 20 letters of resignation people had forwarded to me that they're just, right, that's it, fuck it. You know, mm. this, this is shit, and I am gonna do something better. I am gonna do something for myself. And so yes, I've decided, a, I'd, I left my full-time job back in uh, the end of last year to commit myself to this project. And, and now I've decided, right, I'm going to try to survive the year speaking and hustling around the book so that I can give time to people who've been, in, you know, I'm grateful enough that have read the book, been inspired by it, mm-hmm. and then got in touch with me to say, right, my rebellion is this. Yeah. I've got a bloke who's taking on um, gambling shops. You know, why are they on every single, the poorest high streets in the country? I've got a guy who's taken on the, the taboo of everyday alcoholism. He's like, why are we talking all about mental health yet no one is talking about the fact that most of us drink far too much. He's, he's just got this brilliant, cool kind of response to it. Um, from the Real Bread Foundation to a young woman who's tackling the fact that her friend has been illegally detained in Yarlswood Immigration Centre under all this Windrush nonsense. You know, so big, small, what's your rebellion? Break some rules, let me know and I'll see if I can help. I think I'm going to leave it there. What a good (laughs) note to end on. Thank you so, so much. My pleasure. Thank you very, very much. Thank you.